Hey everyone, welcome to the Enneagram of Essence. Each episode of this podcast starts with a short guided meditation and ends with a reflection on a poem. You are invited to join in with us on both of these spiritual practices as a way to bring some more presence into your day. Thank you so much for joining us. All the freedom we seek is internal. Today, I am speaking with Emmy, who is a financial advisor, a coach, and a novice student of the Enneagram. Emmy and I met at a training at the Enneagram Institute in upstate New York in 2019. We rode the bus to New York City together after the training, and I was enamored with her life story, her gentle spirit, her wisdom, and her kindness. Hey, so here we are. <laughs> Welcome, Emmy. So good to have you here. We're going to start with a very brief centering exercise so we can really fully arrive. So I'll invite you to close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing so or just lowering your gaze. And finding your breath. Allowing the breath to bring you into your body. And with kindness and curiosity, just exploring and resting here for a moment to see what can be found within the sensations and the movement of the energy in the body. Setting aside any tasks or worries, knowing that they will be there waiting when we're done. For now, there's nowhere we need to go, nothing to do, nothing to be, except to simply be. And including our hearts, in this loving awareness. Breathing into the heart space and welcoming whatever is arising within the heart. And then expanding that awareness out even wider now to include the space of the mind and welcoming whatever state the mind is in, just as it is. Breathing into that headspace and allowing for there to be a little bit more stillness and silence and spaciousness with each breath. And then 
breathing in, feeling the whole self, breathing out, experiencing the whole self. Body, heart, and mind all interconnected. Feeling our feet on the ground and our bodies in the chair supporting us. We'll open our eyes and enter into the conversation. Thank you for doing that with me. Yeah, thank you. So, Emmy, I want to start with just a quick little overview of type three. So all the pieces of the personality that are operating here. So we're going to start with the passion. So this is the emotional pattern that comes up again and again in the heart. That is this type's particular suffering. And here at type three, sometimes it gets called vanity. And this is really this move that happens within the self of putting nonstop effort into being good enough, into proving my worth and trying to make sure that I'm outstanding in everything that I'm doing. And so what happens here is there's an image making that starts to creep in of feeling that I actually am this, this image that I'm putting out into the world, this role or roles, multiple roles that I'm playing in different scenarios and believing that that's me. And so this ties in very closely with the mental fixation, which is deceit. And this is not about lying, um, but it's deceiving myself and believing that I am my ego, that I am this image and that there really is nothing else to me. So I begin to think that what's good for my ego is good for me. And I forget about the development of my being. So there's an enormous amount of energy that goes into image appearance and it can turn into this kind of disconnected overdrive mode of just go, 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 go. Um, kind of, um, manic doing that that comes from what the mind is is creating here with the the image making and a big part of this whole system of what's going on with the passion and the fixation is that there's a disconnection from my own heart that happens here the heart gets left out it's just thinking and doing and thinking and doing and the heart gets put away in a little box And it's like, yeah, maybe I'll check in with that later, but then later never comes because there's too many things to do. (laughs) So the poor little heart gets forgotten. And it doesn't have to be this way, though, because with some more awareness and presence and practice and support, threes can move into this other space that is... um, more enlivening and more real than all of that. And so the virtue for type three is authenticity. And this is really an inner shift of operating and doing from the space of my heart. It's speaking and acting from this heart space, 
instead of from a space of what I think will make other people like me or approve of me. And so this becomes a consistent expression of self, of my being. And so there can be a shift from, from doing onto being. And I'm also going to attempt to just very briefly describe the holy idea of type three, which is something that doesn't get talked about much in Enneagram circles, but the holy idea is what's happening in the headspace when that fixation is gone. So when there's some relaxation in the mind and presence is there and things quiet down, the mind can tap into this non-dual space of experiencing reality as it is instead of my delusion about the way that things are. And so type three has actually has three holy ideas and they're all kind of looking at the same thing from different angles. So the first one is called holy harmony. And this is that feeling of just being blissfully in the flow of things like doing some kind of activity, anything, and I'm just so into it that I forget to be myself. <laughs> it's like the self disappears and doing is happening, but there's no doer. And I'm just in harmony with the movement of the universe. And I get to be a part of that. Then the next one is called holy hope. And this is not about hoping for things in the future or outcomes. It's really what it's pointing to is that when I'm living in that holy harmony, when I'm allowing myself to participate in the flow of things, I become the hope for the world because I'm operating from this beautiful, skillful place of flow and openness and generosity and true value, value for myself, value for others, for the whole world. And that's a very hopeful feeling to it. And then the last one is called holy law. And this is really just the recognition that the universe is operating and functioning according to natural laws. So when I'm present, I'm aware that there are natural laws, cause and effect to each and every unfolding moment. And when I'm present to that, there doesn't need to be a plan or a checklist that it can just, it can just trust this law of the universe to unfold the way that it was meant to unfold. And I can step into that with courage and be a part of it. So that sounds juicy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's the overview for type three. So I'll just pause there and see if there was anything in particular from what I just shared that jumped out to you or, or touched you. Yeah, <laughs> still with the nonstop effort into being good enough. And even 
even getting ready to, to be here with you, there's so much, because the last time we saw each other was in the bus, right? After taking the Enneagram Institute's first course. And I was, while we were sitting together just now with that memory and wanting to be exactly Chelsea how you want me to be for today <laughs> and wondering oh, what do I what do I need to get ready for oh, what do I need to refresh even whether to put makeup on today or not <laughs> of what image do I bring forth of myself and pausing and deciding ah, I'm just gonna let that go out the door and yeah, with the universe already is supporting me. There isn't a need for more checklists. And being here with you right now is is enough. I think for me, meditation, the sitting practice is is difficult for me not wanting to notice how much my mind is going through the checklist, not wanting to notice how much my heart gets left behind. Um, my Zen teacher will often ask, how am I feeling? Look into your heart. And for me, often it's, a, it's like a gray, Emptiness, not in the Zen term, but maybe a void of, I don't know what that emotion is. <laughs> I don't know. I can't identify it. And how much I become disconnected from myself. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like the description of Enneagram 3 is a description of human beings. <laughs> I mean, I think you could say this maybe about every type, but I don't know. There's something in particular about three, this like image that we get attached to every single type is doing that in their own way. And so I just want to say, you know, you're, you're not alone. <laughs> like <laughs> we have every part in all of us. Yeah. Every number. Right. This is the human struggle. So, and it, and we have to relearn it again and again and again and again, <laughs> the human condition. So, so Emmy, I'm curious if you could talk a bit about how you noticed your three personalities showing up in the younger version of you, like maybe in childhood or teen years, how was this showing up even early on? Yeah, for me, I, I was born to immigrant parents who came to California from Japan when they were 25, and I was the firstborn. So from early on noticing there's this home life that I have, and then there's a, another outside world with school. And I was also going to Saturday school. So I had six days of school all the way through high school. Wow. <laughs> and 
having different cultural expectations in both of those worlds, very different. And also, because this was a new world for my parents, there was structure and also what's arising for me right now is fear, especially from my mom of, will my children be okay in a world that I, I am unfamiliar in? Mm-hmm. Um, language, how the school system works. <laughs> and there, I remember my mom sharing with me, she was afraid of what she knew about LA, that it was be it would be full of gangs and her daughter would end up in a gang. Oh. And I, I grew up in Orange County, <laughs> very different. <laughs> but being aware that there I, I, I was the bridge, or I am the bridge of these two different cultures. And because of the language gap, from a very young age, my parents always told me, we might not have the resources for you, so it's up to me to find that and reach out to teachers or mostly teachers that could help me there. And I felt really alone in that sense. And when I was five years old, I moved from Pasadena to Irvine. And in Pasadena, I didn't need to learn the English language. So I started learning English when I was five years old in kindergarten. And I think that transition was pretty difficult for me. Another thing that comes up maybe not quite early childhood, but there's tremendous drive from my mother of excelling. And maybe this might come from in Japan, you get one shot. And if you're sick on your college entrance exam day, like your your life is, will have a different trajectory. So it was all around ranking and grades and not knowing where this drive for my mother came from to excel. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's part of Japanese culture and American culture too, right? We're a three culture here. But later on, my mom sharing with me that she didn't graduate college. And so she was concerned that if her children knew that. I have a younger sister. If her children knew that, we would stop trying. So my my mother's dreams of graduating college and maybe becoming a career woman, that was really driven into me. (laughs) And the even the sports that I chose and fell in love with, swimming, it's it's all about efficiency and time uh it's the clock the clock doesn't lie (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's carried on and especially in late 20s early 30s coming to a point where I didn't know who I was living for I had this path that my parents had laid out for me of you have to go to a UC school system or you're in the doghouse, you're cut off, 
you will have no support, no love into getting into college. And then my first job, but even my first job, not knowing if I, if this was really what I wanted to do and having doubts around that. How did you choose that career path at that time? What do you, what were your motivations? (laughs) Yeah, my primary motivation was I need to get out of my mother's wings. (laughs) I need to find a job that can keep me in Santa Barbara, which has um, a higher living expense. Is there a job out there that I can support myself enough so that I am away from my parents? Mm. Yeah. So that's fascinating because, you know, a a big part of what is usually happening for threes is this like family hero Mm. role Mm -hmm. that threes feel pressured to take on and to live out the unfulfilled dreams of the family. And so I hear that so clearly in your story of your mom not going to college and then you feeling the pressure to be a career woman. And, and then there's this part of you that's like, and I got to get away. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. 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 Separate and find out who, who am I? I can't remember now, like if it was five years in, seven years in, maybe a little more, calling my mom and letting her know the career path that I'm on right now, it's not for me. And I am going to put in my resignation. And she cried and begged me not to do that. Which in hindsight, I, I don't know. It's her. My grandmother, uh, she was a single mother and working as a nurse and supporting the family. So she was not around and very different personality from, from my mother, trusted her child. And when, her, when my mom approached her saying, I, I don't like the college I'm in. I don't think school is for me. My grandmother was behind her a hundred percent. So my mom is the extreme opposite and I'm still in the same career as I was. And it's, it's been 17 years. Um, so yeah, there, there is the question of, did my mom give me, provide me another way to look at things? But yeah, there, there definitely was resentment after those tears and being frozen after those tears and knowing how much she sacrificed towards the next generation, really, un, yeah, frozen. That's the word that comes up for me. Of, okay, I'm going to miss, try, try harder. <laughs> yeah. I'm also curious about, so you you talked about being sort of like bicultural, having to shift between your home life and then the outside world. You know, that ability to be adaptive and to fit in is also a a Enneagram three skill. It's like, 
of course it can be done in a way that is um, maybe gets overdone and then threes can lose themselves because there's too many roles going on. But it is also a superpower to be able to adapt to situations and yeah, for sure. in with people, right? And so yeah. not only did you have your personality encouraging you to do that, but then being the daughter of, of immigrants necessitates that as well. So it's like coming at you from everywhere, <laughs> extra real. <remote. laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what, what did you see as the differences when, when you navigated back and forth between those, those roles or those worlds? What did you have to adapt into? Yeah. Your question takes me back to like first grade, second grade, where I spent, because of like a green card mishap, I was in Japan for six months and going to school in Japan for that time period. And I was, <laughs> uh, Japan is a culture of like maybe group dynamics. And so, so I remember my teacher encouraging my mom to teach me to simmer down my individualism my personality, uh, that I'm too outspoken, that I'm sticking out too much. (laughs) And here, I constantly come across, um, be more assertive, be more assertive. What do you want? What do you want is also the the type three Mm -hmm. of really discovering where, what is my authenticity? Mm -hmm. I appreciate that now in a different light. But who I needed to be in Japan, in front of my relatives at school. I also decided to study abroad for a year, my junior year at college, and coming up against that as well. Mm-hmm. Of my posture, my mannerism, it's too assertive, too aggra- aggressive, maybe even for both sexes, but especially because I'm female. Wow. Yeah, the, the 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 softness that Japan Japanese culture helped me to cultivate. Mm. Uh, I had a coach who helped me look at that as a strong attribute in mm. the Western culture of being able to navigate and also mold myself into what I needed to become. And then the softness allows for less rigidity. Um, I still remember the imagery of soft soil allows growth, future growth. And that was, that was helpful. I, I don't know if this is completely true, but I've heard some people say Japanese culture has a lot of like Enneagram six overlay to it because of the group, the group awareness and that caution and kind of being in the background, but being responsible, getting stuff done, kind of methodical. Mm -hmm. And, and then you come over here to the U S and then the over cultural overlays three. Yep. That's fascinating because they're, you're connected on that inner line on the <laughs> right. Level, right. So like, they're really, they are flip sides of the exact same coin. They're both <laughs> about like 
intelligent doing of like the six with the the inner guidance and the three bringing the unique gifts and talents into the world and letting the light shine (laughs) yeah they seem so different and they're so they can be so connected too Mm -hmm. yeah so so as you go on kind of through the timeline of your life you're you're working hard you're in this career you're doing the thing to you know just keep on keeping on and also make the family happy then what? Like, where does this lead you? Yeah, to the inevitable breakdown (laughs) when the mind and body are doing after leaving and the heart has been left so behind. My body, my body broke down. Um, I had this opportunity. It was a significant promotion. My my boss was transitioning into a different role within the company. So I inherited a majority of his clients. And there's this tremendous um, pressure that I put on myself of fitting into my boss's shoes because he he was the best advisor. (laughs) And I wanted to emulate as much as possible that he was doing, but we're wired differently. So it's not sustainable. And I was working long hours, um, choosing my career over my community of support. So not only was I deceiving myself, I was deceiving my community And they had no way of knowing how how drained I was, how much of an external appearance I was putting on a show for everyone around me, including myself. And that's when I had my first panic attack. I collapsed in the middle of a concert and I had one more work trip to complete Uh, for the year to quote unquote, feel successful for me that I had achieved enough. And I came to on the emergency room bed and with tubes hooked up (laughs) to me. And I see my housemate uh, and I, I couldn't breathe. I thought this was it. And recognizing in that moment, wow, this is, this is not how I want to leave the earth. I'm not ready. (sighs) And then a period of a week passed where thoughts were very slow. I wasn't interested in food and I'm, I'm self-pressed. I'm very food motivated. (laughs) I also have a very expressive face and my parents sharing with me, there was, there was no emotion. It was just like a mask and not knowing how long I would be in this period. Thankfully it lasted a week with a little bit of after effect because I was not listening to the other signs within my body, within my heart. 
my body did what she knew to do. And that was to contain me, Hmm. restrain me from further going down the path. Hmm. And that, that helped me to start finding my Zen practice, Hmm. being more curious and ultimately becoming more interested in also life coaching, Hmm. Um, taking a life coaching program because I was curious about what is it about me that gets in these patterns that I find myself in? Or even in my love life, choose the partners that I tend to lose myself in. So what was the, the message? Like if you could put it into words, what was the message from your body? You're on overdrive. You're disconnected from heart. Where you're leaving, I'm leaving my heart behind. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, as as scary and terrible as that must have been, to have that kind of breakdown at a young age is kind of lucky. Yeah. <laughs> like because some threes will go much, much longer and keep pushing. And it'll be, you know, it'll be later in life, but inevitably the body does shut down in some some kind of way. And for people who have pushed through longer, it can be fatal. Like it can, or, you know, really extremely life altering um, for Mm -hmm. what the body will do to get that message across to slow down. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I do feel lucky that it happened in my early 30s. And not to say I don't find myself back there. <laughs> <laughs> and I know I now can recognize the messages, the loving messages that my body is sending me um, as a three with a four wing that. Um, I think we're titled the workaholic (laughs) there, there is that morning of, oh, wow. I used to be able to work like 10 hours nonstop and well, not in actuality after, because of my breakdown, it ultimately led to my breakdown, but this notion of I can work with five hours of sleep, I can go nonstop and maintain this. There was a morning of, oh, I'm not as efficient anymore. And I've lost this kind of blockade that I had this in with my heart, right? Because if I can, if I don't pay attention to my feelings, my emotions, I just am a machine and I can continue doing. Um, so there's, there's the loss of that ability. And then there's also tenderness towards my heart that wants to continue to emerge and a deep knowing that this, this is the path. And I think I've shared with you, Chelsea, with um, December 31st approaching, there's a lot of tax planning opportunities right now and all the changes in Congress, who knows what the final version of the tax law will be. 
but I am, I have entered the busy season. So uh, it is kind of a go, 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 go. And there's more awareness in the choices that I'm making mm. and a listening to my body and maybe a better negotiation. So what helps you these days? What helps you to slow down and take a break or take a breath yeah. or have fun? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what supports do you have in that? My sitting practice mm-hmm. and my self-care. Um, and those are the two things that if I feel like there's an email or work project (laughs) I want to do, those are the top two things that, um, I move back onto the priority list and time and time again, reading in all the Enneagram literature through my Zen teacher, through my mentor, through my loved ones, um, even if I'm not noticing it in the moment, others see how much my sitting practice is a place of rest and reconnection to myself. So with my Sangha in October, we had a 30-day meditation challenge of every day for an hour, sit, gather together in our Zoom Zendo. And Waking up at 5.50, that's only a 10-minute difference between my normal day, but oh man, those 10 minutes. (laughs) And being in November, um, without that support, noticing that significant difference for me, but the 30-minute daily set is important, and my partner encourages that for me too. So that's helpful. I also started, this is something I discovered um, at the Enneagram Institute, but I can't remember her name right now. She was a Nia instructor. So Nia, there's 52 dance moves and it incorporates like um, all many different types of dance traditions and also the spiritual traditions. And I don't have many dancing bones in my body. So having that like 10 minute, 20 minute express like dance workout where there's no one watching because I asked my partner (laughs) to leave the room and kind of just dance it out. Mm. Uh, That's been a fun, supportive practice too. And going back to nature, um, I have a, there's a, there's a hill two minutes away walking distance that I can go into and uh, there's moss and oak. So that's, and not doing anything. (laughs) It's so hard to just lie in bed unless I'm exhausted to lie in bed for like an hour but sometimes I'll give myself that and be with my inner critic of whoa Emmy (laughs) you're wasting your time (laughs) (laughs) yeah so how do you 
interact with that inner critic in those moments when it comes up and tells you to hurry up and get back on the horse? I've, I feel like I've tried so many things and I've come to the point where allowing the inner critic to express fully what she needs to Mm. and acknowledging, I I hear you. Mm. And yes, what you've listed, some of them are urgent. (laughs) So maybe I'll negotiate and let her know instead of an hour, I'll stop in 50 minutes and get this done in 10 minutes, the last 10 minutes. Yeah, uh, mostly negotiation. The trying to fight it for me, it, it doesn't work. She gets louder and louder and louder. Yeah. It sounds like you treat her with kindness too. Like there's a willingness to allow her to be there and and have her say and then yeah. Kind of like, okay, thanks. <laughs> when I'm present, yes. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of my a lot of my days sitting, first 15 minutes might might be that, just my to-do list and how much I'm behind and how much I am unworthy because I'm not doing enough. Yeah, you know, and I think that's the reason most people, no matter what their Enneagram type have a hard time meditating or there's so much resistance to sitting still in any form of meditation, because for all of us, the first 15 minutes are going to be our personalities patterns on overdrive and just sitting through it and watching it just do it. And it's so uncomfortable (laughs) or the, or the entire 25 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My entire sitting. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, so where, where do you find the value in the sitting? Like, what does it actually do for you? Like, what would you say to someone who is like, yeah, I can't meditate because I sit there and I just, my mind just goes crazy. Like, what is it that you have found keeps you coming back to your cushion? My community of support, Mm. my, my Zen teacher, my Zen teacher has been very patient with me and he doesn't make anything wrong. <laughs> I'll try to stump him on occasion to, um, so that he says I'm a bad student, but that's never happened. He's so embracing of all parts of me. Mm. And yeah, my partner also, um, his his gentle nudge of, have you, have you sat in a while? <laughs> because he can tell. <laughs> because he can tell. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, and reflection. I, I know now what my pattern is of if I go too long without sitting, the negative consequence of my louder inner critic, my longer list of the to-do, that's, for me, it creates more suffering. There's, there's the balance of, yes, 30 minutes feels like a really long time in my day. 
And it allows me to be with all the, my personality. It gives a space for my personality to fully express so that I can be more with, <laughs> with being and my desire to move towards that holy harmony, hope, love. Yeah, I feel that too. Like for me, it feels like when I skip my sits, my personality gains momentum. And, and it'll just like, if I go two days, three days without doing the sit, like then it's really on a roll because there hasn't been that like shock point of interrupting it. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, I, it, to me, it feels like it just sort of slows it, slows it down a bit and introduces a new possibility of a new, a new way of being and relating to myself. Yeah, I agree. And even within my, my inner friend circle, noticing that I enjoy being around those that have an inner practice more. Mm. Um, So it's, it's naturally self-selecting out, uh, especially in the time of COVID where there's less traveling and it's been really nice, less obligatory doing. (laughs) Well, we're getting close to the end of our time, but um, I just want to check if there's anything else that we didn't get to about your story that you want to share. Yeah. Another person, well, in addition to my Zen teacher and my partner, Ryan, um, my mentor played a significant role when it comes to the world of Enneagram because I self-diagnosed through the testing <laughs> process that I was a four and I was elated to be a four. And really quickly, she she allowed me to be try on being a four for a long time, for probably about a year. And then I signed up for the coaching program and the coaching program uses the Enneagram also. So when that time came, she approached me again and walked me through the breakdowns that have happened in my life. And through that lens, helped me see that I am a three. Um, And we talked about vanity at the very beginning. I didn't resonate as a three because I'm not a social three. Social for me is the blind spot. It's the lowest of the instincts. So um, Beatrice, Beatrice Chestnut's book of having vanity for not having, or having vanity for not having vanity. Yes. Um, that, <laughs> that helped open the door. <laughs> Yeah, aren't I great because I'm so humble? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the yeah. self-press three is unique like that. But yeah. a little bit more understated. And right. Less, less it outwardly image 
focused. Yeah. And not wanting to be in the spotlight. Yeah. Like my fellow social threes. Right. <laughs> as much. Yeah. Yeah. And the sexual threes have their own version of that too. Yeah. But there is like yeah. a counter vanity in yeah. self-pressed three. So I'm For glad sure. you're that because that can be confusing. Those, those subtypes. Yeah. Miss typing so easy to do. <laughs> For sure. Um, and then one thing about relationships of for me, it's in relationships that the chameleon superpower and also my Achilles heel shows up. Um, is I go into relationships of how do I need to be? And it happens with the people that I truly love because I don't want to lose them in my life. Um, So I become the person that I think they want me to be and I lose myself. So recognizing I do that in my personal relationships, um, especially when I meet, when I'm getting started with a love interest at the beginning and also through my friendships, but my, my partner is always asking two or three times in the same conversation, what do you want? What do you want? And that's, that's helpful. And being able to feel safe of, I don't know what I want. So let me, let me kind of word barf and find my way through (laughs) yeah and it sounds like he gives you a container to to do that yeah that's beautiful well thank you let's let's close our time with a poem so I recently heard this poem called no flag by Rumi and I think it speaks to the experience of of the three. So I'll read it through the first time just so we can kind of get a feel for it and uh, hear what it's about. And then I'll read it a second time. And, and then we'll listen for a word or a phrase that stands out to us. I used to want buyers for my words. Now I wish someone would buy me away from words made a lot of charmingly profound images. I'm so tired of what I've been doing. Then one image without form came and I quit. Look for someone else to tend the shop. I'm out of the image making business. Finally, I know the freedom of madness. A random image arrives and I scream, get out. It disintegrates. Only love. Only the holder that the flag fits into and wind. No flag. So I'll read this again. And the invitation is for us to listen with our whole being in our hearts and see if there's a word or phrase that stands out. I used to want buyers for my words. 
Now I wish someone would buy me away from words. I've made a lot of charmingly profound images. I'm so tired of what I've been doing. Then one image without form came and I quit. Look for someone else to tend the shop. I'm out of the image making business. Finally, I know the freedom of madness. A random image arrives and I scream, get out. It disintegrates. Only love. Only the holder that the flag fits into and wind. No flag. Was there anything that stood out to you, Emmy? <laughs> there was a sense of relief um, with the, I'm out of the image making business. And I appreciate Chelsea, you're reading it twice because the first time I was, I didn't notice I was doing this until your second invitation to listen from the whole being. And for me, especially from the heart of my mind was trying to analyze <laughs> and whether to, whether instead of receiving, it was so focused on what do I say when Chelsea asks and feeling this, it's an expansiveness in my heart and yet a not knowing it's difficult for me to be in that space because um, I don't, I honestly don't know what will come up <laughs> and that's scary for me. But with Rumi's poem, I feel a sense of encouragement for exactly that. Yeah. For me, the phrase that stood out was finally, I know the freedom of madness. Mm -hmm. The first yeah. time yeah. through, I was like, what? <laughs> it didn't make sense to me, but I got curious about it. And then the second time, I was like, oh, that the world will perceive me as mad mm -hmm. if I drop the image making business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that there's something that just doesn't make sense about that to the world. Yeah to move from a place of being instead of doing. Yeah. Yeah. And what we have, how many seconds or less than a, less than half a second we might give to a, a new person to decide this is the type of person I think they are to transpose our own image onto a person. Wow. I forget what the statistics is, but it's, it's quite frightening how quickly we we judge and put others into our clean boxes. Right. Yeah. 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 Wow. Well, thank you for stepping out of your box today <laughs> <laughs> and being here with me. This has just been lovely to hear from you. Same to you, Chelsea. And thank you for creating this container. All of you,
big shout out to singer-songwriter Lynn O'Brien, who provided our theme music for this podcast. You can find her music online at lynnobrien.love. For more on my work, including Enneagram courses, coaching, Enneagram art, and spiritual direction, visit chelseaforbrook.com. Please share this podcast with your friends, and I look forward to having you join us next week for our next epic journey. Until then, may the deep peace of presence be with you.